Let's pray together. Our great God, this morning, we just thank you that that you have taught us, Lord Jesus, uh, very simple terms, what your kingdom rule is and how its impact in the culture is to be. Uh, So, Father, we pray that you would uh, just explode in our hearts and minds the truthfulness and the deep reality of this parable that we might be your people who long for your kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven, who work and hope and believe that that's precisely what will be. Father, help us to live today as we know one day, someday, will be. God, help us to bring your renewing, healing power to those around us as you have brought it to us. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you saw the story, but on August 28th, uh, just a few weeks ago, there were some missionaries in a a village in Syria who um, were persecuted. Uh, There was a father and his 12-year-old son and two other uh, indigenous uh, believers that were drug out to the middle of the village and asked if they would renounce their faith in Christ. And they said, we will never denounce our faith in Christ. And they were beaten, uh, they were humiliated, and they were murdered and hung on crosses in the village. Later that day, eight others, including two women, were drugged to the middle of the village. And uh, the two women were violently raped. And they were all beaten and left for dead. And while they were dying, while even they were being raped, they were praying out loud. (laughs) Some were praying the Lord's Prayer. Others were commending their spirit to Jesus. And as I think about that, and as I have rested on that this week as I read that, Um, The reality of the kingdom, the reality of the offensiveness of the kingdom came um, to be more real to me. And never in my lifetime, when I was growing up, or really when I was converted in the ninth grade on, did I think that I would see an intentional and strategic attempt at genocide of believers. (laughs) And yet, that's what we're seeing in the Middle East. The world hates the kingdom of God. And where that is an extreme case going on right now, all of us in this room should feel that to some extent. Because the world hates the kingdom, and its opposition to the kingdom is not always going to be as public and violent as that, or at least overtly violent as that. But that is the nature of the opposition of the work, the kingdom work of Jesus. And we all feel it. We feel it as we make sacrifices. We we feel isolated in our own little struggle as a Christian, don't we? We feel isolated by the demands to to be generous and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to, to love those who spitefully use us, to love our enemies. We feel it as single people and seeking to be faithful to God 
sexually, seeking to, to not complain and to be content, and we feel it. Especially as we watch those in the kingdom of the world not having to deal with that struggle. We feel it as married people, knowing that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church, knowing that we should submit to our husbands as to the Lord, knowing that we should be faithful, knowing that that we should forsake all others, knowing that we should forgive and love. And We feel it as teenagers as we face the pressures in school and so forth. We feel it in the world of academia, in the business world, in the medical fields. I hear it. We feel it. I was talking to someone last night who had to make an extreme stand because of their specific view, which was Christ-driven in their job. They had to turn something down that was going to be very lucrative. We feel it. And so I think we ask, as we look at the evil around us, as we feel this marginalization, we ask, what kind of effect can we have and are we really making a difference? And I hope by now we understand that ultimately the changes that God talks about and the changes that God has for us is not primarily going to happen at the polls. The changes that he's talking about here as we have looked through these parables in Matthew 13 uh, are not about uh, a change that's going to happen as we boycott. It's not changes that's going to happen as we blog or as we repost somebody else's post on social media. But the way of the kingdom is, is a method that really opposes us at our deepest level. It's not a strategy that's going to feed our pride. It's not a strategy that's going to put us front and central. It's not a strategy that we're going to feel immediately. But it's long and it's slow and it's subtle. And there are very few superstars. It's just a matter of mundane faithfulness. But friends... This is why Jesus, I believe, gave us seven parables in a row. Because he wanted to slow us down and say, Church, you've got to get the nature and the strategy of my kingdom. This is why we haven't rushed through the the parable of the leaven in one verse of Matthew 13. Uh, This is why we didn't just kind of lump it in and I didn't say, hey, Chris, why don't you just preach both of those parables because they're basically saying the same thing. No, Jesus gave seven distinct parables and we need to slow down and we need to take them individually because we need to understand the nature of the kingdom and we need to embrace his strategy. And if this parable is saying anything, it's really building on. I feel like this whole concept that I'm about to lay out for you is something that has been introduced, but now it's about to explode. And what Jesus is telling us, especially in the parable of the leaven, is that the kingdom of God is a power. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 4.20. He says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is a power. It's not a philosophy to just debate. But it is a living power. The leaven, if it illustrates anything, illustrates God's kingdom power. And as a power, it's saying this is plan A and there is no plan B. 
What God is saying is is that this is how I'm going to change the world. You want to see change around you? Do you want to get on board of what I'm doing in the world? Then this is it. The leaven is power. And as it mixes in the dough, it impacts the dough. You see, the leaven doesn't get doughed. The leaven leavens the dough. That's why doughed isn't even a word. (laughs) Because you can't get doughed. I guess you can if you get hit in the face with it. But it's not going to change you. But the leaven, you put leaven, you put yeast in the midst of flour and water, and you've got all kinds of effects. And they're all good. So what is the leaven? The leaven is the seed of the word of the kingdom in the good soil. It it is a power, you remember from the parable of the sower, it's a power that is in you. And through all the other parables, it's a power that comes out of you and that impacts those around What this parable is specifically honing in on is leaven permeates and rises. And it makes something very tasteless, like Melba bread or crackers, something tasteful as it rises, as it ferments. So it's a power within us first. This is how it works. This is the nature of the kingdom. This power is is built on the word of the kingdom that is the gospel that says you you personally, it's the message of the seed of the word of the kingdom, you personally are more sinful than you allow yourself to believe, but you are more loved than you've ever dared to hope. Simultaneously, you have a recognition of your sin and God's love, His infinite, eternal, tangible love through the the power of the cross and the reality that God became flesh, lived under the law for you, died for your sin, was punished for your sin, so that now you can receive the very love of God. It's a message that humbles you and it's a message that empowers you. And it's a message that gets you over you. You see, that has to happen first. Now, how does it happen? When we believe that, the Beatitudes tell us that we become poor in spirit. In other words, as we begin to see the the evil that's working within us and the evil that's working without of us, we don't become cynical, critical people. But we begin to become poor in spirit. We begin to literally mourn our own brokenness and the brokenness around us. We don't write op-ed pieces that make us seem to be the ones who have all the answers. We simply mourn the brokenness around us. And we hunger and thirst for righteousness. See the Beatitudes? And when we are persecuted, we endure joyfully. Because we know that we don't deserve any better. And that our God is at work. And secondly... As that seed of the word of the kingdom is at work within us through the message of the kingdom, then we become a power in the world. The nature of change in us is for our renewal, but it's for our renewal for the good of others. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. God knows precisely what he's seeking to produce. As these these pumpkins, and I'm not sure about the white ones, I don't know anything about white pumpkins, but I'll talk about the orange one here. I know that dude came from a pumpkin seed. (laughs) It didn't come from an apple seed. 
It didn't come from the uh, seed of wheat or any... It came from a pumpkin seed. Do you see it? Now, Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit of God? When the Word of the Kingdom comes upon you, there is a distinct manifestation. There's, there's a distinct product. And what is that? It's a person who loves, who's full of joy, who's full of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. And so this is how God changes the world. And this is why it's counter to everything that we are. We want a slam dunk. We want a marching band. We want an army that rolls through the city. But what God says is this. This is how I'm going to change the world. When the world hates you, forgive them and love them and die for them. When when there's a group of orphans, become fathers and mothers to those orphans. Don't talk about irresponsibility of you just be fathers and mothers to the orphans. When children can't read, don't don't spend your life criticizing. Go teach somebody to read. If somebody's hungry, don't criticize food stamps. Go feed somebody. (laughs) If somebody's naked, clothe them. If somebody's in prison, don't talk about the justice system and all. Go visit them. Be the seed of the word of the kingdom because that's what Christ has done for you and me. And we say, how's that going to change anything? That's God's plan A and there is no plan B. So the question is this. Is the leaven of the kingdom hiding in you? Is it changing you? If it's a power, then is it changing you? Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more joyful? Are you becoming more peaceful? Do you see yourself being a a contention of peace in your relationships? Or are you always causing fights and schisms? Do you see it? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you good? You say, God, just give us a bat to you. Just get us into public office. Just get... He says, no. This is it. Three things out of this I want us to see. Very short, very brief. The first is this. The parable of the leaven is teaching us that the kingdom's power is manifested subtly. Listen to this. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven a woman hid in three measures of flour. Really? (laughs) God's going to change the world by dropping leaven in a bunch of dough. I have never in my life read so much about bread than I have this week. I honestly didn't know much about bread making, but I do now. And I know that, that one thing, and I even love the word she hid this leaven in the three measures of flour because there's so much behind that word hid. It wasn't that, you know, she wasn't, uh, who's that cook that takes his sauce and goes, bam, you know, he wasn't, it was it was subtle. She hid. She just put it in. She hid it in there and she began to knead it around. It's almost like she snuck up on the dough and she just kind of put, didn't want the dough to know what was coming. 
I mean, that's the, that's the language here. Jesus could have used any language, but he said, it's like a woman that hid leaven in dough. Wow! One thing I learned is it only takes a very small amount of leaven or yeast to impact a very large amount of dough. Three measures of dough would make about 11 um, loaves of bread. And so we're talking about maybe a cup or a cup and a half of leaven um, to about two to three gallons of flour. And what I love about this is the question that I know I struggle with, and I assume that you're like me, and that is, I mean, how can God use little old mundane me to impact the world? And that's exactly what this parable is saying. Not only can he use you, little old you, little old mundane, your mundane life, you, but that is his plan A and there is no plan B. You see, there's no superstar yeast in bread making. It's just yeast. Nothing exciting about the yeast until it gets in the dough. You don't even notice the yeast until it gets in the dough. And you don't even see the change happening. It's so subtle. It's like you've got, if you just stand there watching yeast, you're like, man. You know, but if you leave it for a good while, then you come back, you're like, man, that was amazing. You know? And that's what Jesus is saying. God's intentional design is to use our mundane faithfulness compounded with the mundane faithfulness of all those he has gathered to bring his healing, renewing power to the world. There were no cameras in that Syrian village. And can you imagine how many millions of people have been encouraged and how we have been encouraged this morning by hearing of their faithfulness that even a 12-year-old boy said, I will not recant, what is it? Thank you. Uh, I will not turn my back on Jesus. Put it to you like that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, that's a power. That's not a boy trying to please his father to make his dad... His life, he knew what was about to happen to me. How does that happen? The word of the kingdom had been planted in that young boy's heart. And he loved Jesus. You see, dear friends, what we've got to understand is we are not forgotten, insignificant people. We are his hidden power that will change his world. However you feel this morning, in your little outpost wherever God has you, in your little job, and your little marriage, or your little community, you are God's plan A. You're not insignificant. God has placed you there to ferment. God has placed you there to bring taste where there's no taste. God has placed you there to rise up and to bring that around you with you. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. This is the power of the gospel and the kingdom. Namely, to create a people and community that does not need to be noticed, recognized, or praised, but is content releasing its power into those around them. You know what the gospel wants to do in you this morning? Make it where you don't have to be on stage. 
where you can love and get nothing in return, even be criticized for it, even be opposed. Where you can give your life away to people that will not thank you. Who else is going to do that? Do you see how powerful that is? The word of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom. But it's subtle. Secondly, the kingdom's impact is subtle, but it's also self-defacing and that's its power. There are so many illustrations I can use here. But I loved how Chris ended his sermon last week by pointing to Ezekiel 17.23 that talk, in talking about the kingdom and prophesying about the kingdom, uh, we read this. On the, the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, talking about the kingdom, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a, a noble cedar. Why? And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. Isn't that beautiful what it's saying? is the kingdom of God is going to be so attractive that every tribe and, and, and language, everybody will come to this beautiful, massive structure of a tree to get in under its shade. What typically separates us will not separate us. Why? Because of the goodness of the shade of the tree. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? We make no mistake that as downtown church, we uh, are kingdom-driven, gospel-empowered, but also multi-ethnic, multi-class. Why? Because we wanted to find some little niche that nobody else was doing? No, because we believe that that is a central element of the expression of the kingdom of God in His world. That He brings together natural enemies... The gospel is power that that gets us over us and into him. And the community that we choose, therefore, is the community that he is choosing for us. That we are a radical community. And and so um, I've planted a mono-ethnic church, mono-class church, two of them for the most part. And so when we came here in 2008, one of the biggest things that I had to do was develop a real theology of multi-ethnic, multi-class. Because I grew up in, a, in a, um, a church that was rooted in racism in its founding, and we didn't hear about the kingdom. I never heard sermons about the kingdom. This whole thing, and therefore, even in my seminary, I didn't hear much about the kingdom. And, and as I began to kind of get into kingdom theology, which is the very essence of the Old and New Testament, it's the very point of, of the Scriptures, is that a king is coming to reign over his kingdom, and one day, someday, he will reign over all the universe, physically, tangibly. Anyway, I could go on forever. Um, It it wasn't that I had to, you know, make up a theology. I just had to open, say, God, open my eyes. It's, It's everywhere. But then I had to get a practical theology. That is, I had to experience it. And one thing that I've experienced over the last seven and a half years is this reality that The nature of the kingdom and the nature of these parables are present in the design for the kingdom being multi-ethnic, multi-class, in that nobody wins. In a mono-ethnic, mono-class church, that race and that perspective on finances wins. And when someone else comes in, they're measured to the group. And hey, you, I mean, I know you're Christian, but you'd probably be uh, more comfortable somewhere else. But in a multi-class, multi-ethnic church, 
the only person that doesn't fit is the person that wants to exalt their culture or their class. And so how do we do this? I mean, I'm the lead pastor, but that's a joke. I mean, I don't know how to do this. Do you know how much time we have to spend in conversations about other cultures and classes and trying to understand, are we, are we messing up here? Are we, and when we do this, I mean, it's constant. And so nobody wins, everybody leads, and everybody submits. You say, how does that work? I have no idea. This week, I had three different conversations about children in worship, all from different perspectives. And what I loved about that is two of those conversations came to me with impassioned viewpoints, but not an agenda to say, this is what I think, and if you don't do it, we're out of here. But help me. Help me understand. And you know what? As people come to me, it makes me start thinking because we don't... I mean, here's the reality. Some believe that worship is a place where the children should not be and if there's an out, you know, because God is so holy and we need to farm the children off somewhere. Others believe, no, the the family is to come into worship and and if people are bothered, they they need to get over it. So what's true? Both are true. (laughs) Yes, God is holy. Yes, he deserves... But how are children going to know that unless they're in this body being taught and learning? And dear friends, we have a large number of children that are over in Flipside right now who come here without parents. And so if someone comes into this church and just sits there and thinks, look at those rowdy children. No, what would God call us to do? Okay, how about you be a parent in the midst, teach them how to worship. Teach them when to stand. Teach them the songs. Help them to love worship. You say, well, then that ruins my worship. Well, okay, well, it's not about you. See, but the two things are there. We want holiness. We want God to be the focus. But we also want our children to be on board with that. And they're not going to be on board if we farm them off all the time and say, you can't be in here because worship is so holy. I mean, do you see it? It's both. It's both. And it's messy, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it's an absolute nightmare. And that's okay. And folks, that's just one example. We could go on. (laughs) We could go on. But it's important, it is important that we understand that this is how the kingdom... That's perfect timing. That's... We love you. We love you. We want you here. (laughs) One day you'll know how glorious God is and you won't cry in worship. (laughs) The kingdom of God, it's subtle, but it's self-defacing. It's self-defacing. It's not about pleasing members. It's about pleasing God and us all working together. But then finally, the kingdom's power is released in the world. Capital I, capital N. Listen to John 17. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying to his Father. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do you see the tension there? Where do the yeast have to go to produce change? Into the dough. Little bit of yeast, lots of dough. You get lost, you get hidden, it's, it's discouraging, the odds are against you. You have to have a ton of faith to believe that God is going to change all the dough around you. But that's what God says to do. Get in the world. We are not going to affect change until we are getting deep into the lives of those around them. Friends, I believe and I'm, I'm confident that we would not have the issues that we have today if we, instead of pulling away from those that we disagree with in terms of their sexual preference or their view on sexuality, if we just pull away and say, well, I can't, you know, you can't be my friend, or we pull away from those family members who go, um, who walk away from the faith and they live a life that you're not going to approve of, If we simply shun them, then we've lost the ability to be yeast and leaven in their lives. So we have to look at our friendships, we have to look at our life, and we have to say, am I in the dough? If you're feeling overwhelmed by how many, how much darkness is around you, amen. Good. You're right where you need to be. And now you understand why worship is so important. And why now you understand why community, Christian community is so important. Because you have to have it. It's not just, oh, I just need some friends. It's, man, you're, on the, you're, you're battling. You're yeast in a bunch of dough and you feel like you're losing half the time. So I better come here and be encouraged by my brothers and sisters. That's why we've got to heal relationships. That's why we've got to get over us and move toward one another. That's why we have that greeting time. Because we need to encourage each other and say, brother and sister, lift your head up. God loves you. Let's move forward together. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How, do I need to call you this week? Because we're in a battle. And when you're in a battle, buddy, you love to get back under the tent and eat with brothers and sisters who are fighting with you. Dear friends, that is what the kingdom is about. Are we going to be the kingdom of God? The only way to do it is to find our life in Christ. Where do I get my life? Where do I get my identity? In King Jesus. Because he sits on the throne and he says, follow me. Follow me into battle and I'm fighting with you. Follow me into battle and my spirit is with you. We battle not with swords, but we battle with the spirit of Christ. His word that is in you. Love when you're being persecuted. Take on more when you feel like you can't. And lean deep into me because I am your bread. I'm the bread of life. Feed on me. Don't feed on the criticism or you're going to become critical. Don't feed on the what it looks like. Man, there's so much dough here and I'm just one little lump of yeast. No, don't look at that. Look at me because I'm your king and I'm king of kings and lord of lords. Draw down on Jesus and feast upon Him as the bread of life. Get in the world 
And understand, it's going to be subtle. It's going to be self-defacing. But Jesus will be exalted. And his change will come over time and in and through us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the nature of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you are enough for us to face the world around us. That you are enough to help us get through what we're getting through. God, help us to see ourselves as warriors and not consumers. Help us to see ourselves as at war and not on vacation. And Father, help us to employ the encouragement of the community of saints and worship and deep study of your word that we might be prepared and we might be yeast among dough. Oh God, we pray that the city would be changed even as you bless the, the vision and the request that, that are in this bucket up front. Father, I have a feeling that if all of these requests, all these visions, all these desires were blessed, that this city would be a different place. So God, would you do that? We thank you so much for the kingdom. And we pray that we indeed would be your citizens. God, bring someone into citizenship this morning that may not know you. God, bring them in by in the masses that this world might know that you are king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.